Hi, this is Helen, and thank you for joining me for a cup of teal. Teal is shorthand for the future of work. It means bringing your whole self to work, a focus on purpose and self-management. And this podcast is a chat over a cup of tea with the people who are making this happen in health, care and public services. Stories of self-management in action. I can honestly say that this is one of the podcasts that I'm most underconfident and nervous about recording. And it's because it's such an emotional and important subject, the subject of race. And I'm really pleased, Angela, that you've agreed to have this conversation with me. So before we start, Angela, please, would you introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Angela Clark. I am lots of things. I am primarily a qualified psychologist and psychotherapist. I am a mother. I am black and my profession currently is managing adult health and social care for a local authority in Thurrock. I also spend a lot of my spare time with international development agency called RAFA, which deals with inequality and issues of social justice and also is primarily involved in raising awareness about things that affect people's health and well-being. So um, a lot of my spare time is spent doing that as well. So I keep myself quite busy and active. Thank you, Angela. And we are so delighted that you've also recently agreed to become one of our national advisors to wellbeing teams in relation to diversity. So we've known each other for a couple of years, and that's because there are two wellbeing teams in Thurrock that you advise and support around self-management. And they're one of the most diverse teams that wellbeing teams have ever had, which is fantastic. And all the issues that have emerged recently over Black Lives Matters, I think, requires a personal response, you know, from me and my life and my understanding of what white privilege means and what racism means and, and my response to that. But it also requires an organizational response from wellbeing teams. And in our tactical meeting a couple of weeks ago, Ben raised the issue. He said, what are we doing and what can we do around Black Lives Matter? And that really is what made me get in touch recently. So, Angela, that's the question that we're holding. What is it that we can do, do more of or do less of in relation to celebrating and supporting diversity in our organization? And again, we're so pleased you're joining us. How how can you help us? What do we need to be doing or doing differently? Well, I think the fact that you have acknowledged it as an organisational issue is the first step to making a difference. I think that um, with the change in the Equality Act, um, which goes back some 10 years now, I suppose, it was almost as if there was a flurry of activity around equality and diversity then. It then kind of died a death once policies were in place and everyone felt that they were doing the right thing. And, you know, and now we've had a situation where there is complete uproar because we have seen visual evidence of a murder. um, And that has caused reaction, not just within the black community, but people across the world. And, you know, it... You can say that 
the issue is about a black man being killed. Um, my first reaction is the fact that a man was killed, irrespective of what his color was, and that should not happen to anybody. So first and foremost, that's the acknowledgement that people should not be treated in that way. So black lives matter, yes they do, but when people say, you know, if you say all lives matter, you're kind of diluting it. I don't see it that way because first and foremost, it's the act that took place that we need to acknowledge is wrong, whether you are black, white or whatever color, it's, it, it's wrong. So, you know, the first step of, of acknowledging the fact that as an organization that there is an issue and that issue needs to be addressed, I think is, is a good place to be an acceptance that actually you don't have all the answers and that you're not coming with suggestions to something that you don't totally understand. Because, you know, you can come with policies and procedures, but that doesn't necessarily address the realities of what people face in, you know, in all walks of life. And it can be something as simple as just someone seeing your name on a piece of paper that isn't Smith, John or, you know, Jones or whatever, or like myself, Clark, that, you know, an assumption is, is you know, is a made that, OK, so, that, you know, you, you may be white, um, but, you know, you have a different sounding name and, you either don't get that interview or or if you do and you're up against someone else it's you know you're faced with challenges so there are a whole raft of issues and I get that for organizations it's difficult but I think opening the dialogue as well-being teams have well-being limited has done is a good first step towards that you're absolutely right in terms of there being a rush of activity and then Uh, a sense of complacency because like you know all organizations we will have our policy on equality and diversity you know when CQC come we feel like we do quite well in terms of what they require of us in that area but that feels completely different to what I'm experiencing now and you've recently completed the Benny Round uh, Deadly program with us which was fantastic and when we met with Brené last year. Actually, it was her work that really started me thinking differently about this. And she's, she's so insistent, quite rightly, that we talk about race. And she also says, you will get it wrong. And, and that's no reason not to talk about it. It's to keep acknowledging that you're getting it wrong, saying sorry, and keep, as she would say, circling back and trying again. And although, as I said earlier, the team in Thurrock is fabulously diverse, our team in Oxfordshire, our first team there, we recruited a team of six or seven and we had one black team member. And I never had the conversation about what it was like to be the only black team member in the team and what we could be doing to pay attention to that. And and these are the conversations that I think feel hard because I'm worried about being seen as being racist and doing the wrong thing. And by my fear of getting it wrong stops me doing that. But Rene and you say that's not good enough. We have to have the conversation and accept that it won't always go the way that we would hope. That's true because, you know, and, and I, I keep hearing you say, you know, we might get it wrong, <laughs> but getting it wrong can happen on both sides because of the situations that black people face or people of colour. There are assumptions made, even if, you know, you know, you, you you go into a situation already sometimes with some preconceived ideas about what to expect because of your experience, because of the negative experiences that you've already encountered. So you say that you didn't have that conversation, 
but I suppose it depends on why you want to have that conversation because as happened with the Equality Act and you know that you had to make sure that you could evidence and demonstrate that you had a certain amount of people of, of diverse people in your organizations even that you know although yes um, went some way to address inequality sometimes people were just taken on as a tokenistic gesture not based on their remit not based on their qualifications or experience but because they they were there as you know the token you you talk about the fact that you didn't have that discussion or haven't had those discussions with people of color as an organization you would you need would need to question yourselves as to why you felt the need to have that conversation and if you had that conversation what would it look like you know what would it feel like because if you're going to have a conversation and you feel uncomfortable about doing that you're the you know the reason why you're uncomfortable is because really you don't know why you're having it you don't know you know what are your outcomes what are you hoping to achieve from having that conversation who is who are you trying to put at ease is it yourself or is it the person of color Thank you. Those are very perceptive comments. Before I joined you on this podcast this morning, I was doing some work preparing for a session on team agreements that we're doing with a team. And I think that's where my motivation comes from, because the team in Oxfordshire, we were supporting to do team agreements, but I wasn't able to be specific around what other issues we might want to pay attention to that might include, you know, race or class or gender or, or other issues. Because I know, you know, in your work supporting well-being teams, that well-being team members experience racism and how we support people who experience racism feels like a really significant thing to have conversations about. And yes, we'd cover that on one-page profiles, but I'd like the opportunity to go further than that in how we might support each other with team agreements. Now, this has been an issue for you only recently, hasn't it, Angela? Could you tell people a bit more about that? Well, it hasn't just been an issue for me recently. I think, you know, throughout my career, I've been faced with issues similar. But what I will say is that I have seen an increase in of late, definitely, where, you know, you have people who are receiving services who are um, blatantly saying that they do not want to have care and support from someone who's black. I mean, I personally have been on telephone conversations with people and because they have perceived by the way that I speak that I am white, they've said to me, well, we don't want none of them. And when I pressed it and said, you know, question them as to what do you mean by the fact that you don't want none of them, you know, none of them black ones, none of them. And they didn't say the N word, but I, you know, it almost did come out, but they stopped themselves and said, none of them, none of them blacks. If you ask me how I dealt with it, I'll tell you how I dealt with it. I said, well, let's have a conversation about it. Let's let's have a meeting. Let me come and visit you and let's just talk about that and see how we can address it properly. And I made the appointment. I didn't tell them that I was black. I let them assume that I was white because I'm sure that that's what they did. And when I turned up on their doorstep and they saw me, I could see the the shock in their faces nevertheless they let me in 
and we had a conversation and I addressed the issue and I addressed the fact that we have a zero tolerance to discrimination and racism and but what I did do was listen to them I had to listen to them because we can make all sorts of assumptions about why people behave the way that they do and it could be because they've had a negative experience it could be that that's the way that they were brought up and that's all they know I know certainly that when I moved into the area that I am now in, black people were definitely very much a minority, even in the care profession. And at that time, if people saw had a, a, a person of colour coming to them, it was a big issue. But it wasn't always because of the fact that they were um, racist. It was unfamiliar. It was something that they hadn't experienced. It was new new territory and sometimes you have to go through that education process you have to you know you have to meet them at their place of understanding and you have to educate and some people will accept it and others don't but the fact that you've said it the fact that it's been addressed and the fact that you've actually made your point that there is zero tolerance to it then that's part of the part of the journey the other part of the journey is making sure that you support the person who's experienced that negative behavior because they will interject things throughout their career that sometimes will stop them from progressing and you can't do that you can't have that so you know the way that i dealt with that situation yes was to educate and inform but also to be very clear about the boundaries and the fact that actually we treat people with respect and it is irrespective of the the culture the race or whatever of that person everyone needs deserves to be treated with respect and dignity so you know being consistent in that way and and just standing your ground but also do you know yes we have to come from a place of what we now know is compassionate conversations because people won't accept will resist if you if you go in and you're just telling people that's not what it's about it's about having a conversation and a compassionate conversation and getting people to understand and it doesn't always work because yes there are some people who are inherent racist and there's not a lot that you can do about that and how did you support the team around that Angela I had team meetings and I didn't leave it alone and I made them feel comfortable to raise it and part of the way I did that was to share some of my experiences because what I definitely find and what I have found throughout my career is that sometimes we experience racism, discrimination, and we, we just keep it in and we just deal with it. We have a way of dealing with it. We build, you know, people will say, oh, you've got a chip on your shoulder. But no, it's not about having a chip on, on your shoulder. It's about building a thick skin because of what you've experienced, because of what you've seen, because of what you've heard. And knowing that, you know, to get to a position of whether it be authority or whatever, sometimes you have had to work twice as hard as another person to get there. But sharing stories, experiences, examples is important. And it's important to do that in a group setting, in a team environment where people can feel safe to talk, you know, about how they feel and, and engage because we don't engage enough. And it was important for me with the teams to make sure that we didn't just try and put it under the blanket or, you know, just because somebody was saying, I don't want anyone black in here, that we pull them out and put someone white in that was something that I definitely refused to do 
and I advised the team that I would not be doing it and I'd rather pull everyone out than take out someone of colour and just replace them. That That's not, that. I'm in my career, I have never done that. You can see how many people would think that that was an easy option though or the right thing to do because it reduces the discomfort of the team member who's experiencing racism. Yes, I can understand that. I definitely can understand that. But then what does, you know, that, but there are two sides to that. That's the difficult decisions that sometimes you make. And when you make a decision like that, you have to have that engagement and that conversation with that individual. You know, that's, that's the important thing. It's that, that individual, if you're going to take them out, you don't take them out because of the fact that someone is saying they don't want a black person. You take them out because that individual is saying, actually, I can't deal with it anymore. I can't deal with it anymore. I mean, we do need to have a zero tolerance. And actually, if someone feels that you, co- you could not go into a hospital and, well, you could say it, that you don't want a black person to operate on you or you don't want a black nurse but you actually wouldn't have a choice because they wouldn't swap a surgeon and they wouldn't swap a nurse. Mm. And I see it in the same way, you know, that if it was a case that this was being asked, then no, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't readily do it. Definitely not. I wouldn't. And, and, and I feel that if there was someone who was actually behaving in that way, then actually they may, it may be that they should be getting their service somewhere else. And then, then they have that option to do so, but I don't think it would be right to pull out anyone of colour, just be on the say-so of someone because they don't want them touching them. I I don't think that that's right. No, completely, completely. So, Angela, back to our our first question. So we want to be more sensitive and aware of when we are operating from racist beliefs and challenging ourselves around that. Oh, God, that feels so hard just to say it, but I know that that's, you know, part of being white and part of having grown up in the environment that we've we've grown up with. Some of this is personal work, as I said earlier, and some of it is how can we look at our systems and processes and make sure that they're all supporting diversity and inclusion in the way that we need them to, as well as our behaviours doing that. So where would you suggest that organisations like ourselves start? You've said, you know, answering the question and and acknowledging that we've got work to do is the first step. Where where can we go to next? It's always good to start where you've got it wrong. (laughs) That's always a good place to start because, you know, there's one thing, if you haven't addressed it at all or haven't acknowledged it at all, then that's a good place to start. But where you've actually got it wrong, where you feel that you haven't acted appropriately, it's always good to examine that and to unpick it and to say, why, what, you know, why was that? You know, your policies and procedures are there. The policies and procedures are there because legislation did, you know, depicts it to be there. But it's, it's, it's are those policies and procedures live because processes are only good are they're only as as good as the people that follow them and how they're being followed so you can have something written down um but it could be just written down for written down's sake it's how you engage with people and those policies it's how how much we how far we go i suppose with regards to our discussions and our you know, you, you talk about inductions, you know, at the very start when you take people on, 
you need to be having these discussions because what I found certainly when I had my discussions with the teams, part of the problem was the lack of consistency around how the team dealt with the issue. So you could have a couple of team members who would hear the racist comments but wouldn't make a comment. They wouldn't respond to it. They wouldn't say anything. You know, that could be deemed, you know, if you have a person of colour, you know, a black person and a white person going in and you hear someone making a racist comment, as we have had, you know, and the white person doesn't say anything and then the black person is silent, there needs to be a consistent approach as to how it's dealt with. And everybody needs to know, everyone, because it, it may not only be about colour, it may be about something else. It could be about religion. It, 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 it's irrelevant. But the whole team need to know how to deal with it. And we don't give our teams the tools to deal with issues like that. We don't do that. We don't openly do it because it's almost as if we don't acknowledge that it exists or that it could exist. What I've realized now, that, you know, with the whole protest and, you know, Black Lives Matter, but, but what does that actually mean? What does it mean? People matter. Of course people matter. But how you deal with it, how you deal with all people, you know, you don't deal with one, you don't look at black people and say, right, okay, you get them in a group and you say, right, if you face this, this is what you do. You don't do that. You tell the whole team, irrespective of what color they are, you say, if you are faced with this, then this is what we are going to do. This is how we are going to deal with it. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about us. It's about we. It's about how we deal with the issue. Because if you don't do that, then we will always feel as if we are a problem. <laughs> and we're not. We're not a problem. No, it's everybody's response, isn't it? And everybody's responsibility to respond like this. And ignoring it is not an option, Helen. Ignoring it is not an option. And I think what's happened is for so long it has been ignored, but people are now finding their voices. And that's why you are hearing so much about it. And that's why, you know, organisations, I, I suppose, feel that they have a responsibility now to address and to deal with it. And what I, you know, what I want is for people to actually take it on board seriously. And again, for it not to be a tokenistic thing that people do because it's topical. You know, Brexit was topical. You now we've got something else. You don't hear about Brexit anymore. And I don't want Black Lives Matter to be like that because this is something that really does need to stick and needs to, you know, it's like part of the education process. You, you, you start to educate and you keep educating. It's interesting, and I hope you don't mind me saying, but you've gone out and you've, you've read books, you've, you've, you've looked at documentaries, you've done things to, to try to, to gain more information and education around the subject matter. And that's what's needed, because if, you, if we just carry on oblivious to the fact that there is an issue and oblivious to the fact that we have employees, we have we have family members, you know, we have people who are experiencing this on a very regular basis. You've heard about the, you know, the situation about, about how some of the black health workers feel about being put into the COVID wards. And, and we've heard about the disproportionate people dying with coronavirus and all of this. And then, you know, it just seems as if it's all around the, the colour but, but, but what about the experience? What about that actual experience of what that person is feeling? How are they, how are they actually going to deal with it? How do they deal with it? 
Yes, you're and absolutely you're not, right. And you're, you know, and you're not the only one that's saying to yourself, "What do we do? You know, what do we do about it?" Everyone is saying, "What do we do about it?" Black and white, what do we do about it? And it is about coming together. It is about collaborations. It is about having a dialogue. It is about having discussions like this to try to understand and try to unpick. Because my experience will be totally different to yours. But it doesn't, doesn't mean that you may not have experienced racism. But my, my experience will be different and may be ongoing. And I will still face the situation that I may go into a room of professionals and I am still yet the minority. And I will continue. And, you know, and, it may, and that may continue and continue and continue. What do I do about that? All I can do is try and, try and educate, inform and support people to come along and be, be encouraged to go for those particular jobs that they feel that, they, that are out of their reach or that they won't get because of their colour. Or go on that course, because that course isn't just for white people, but that course is for everyone. But how do we, we, we run courses, how do we engage and make sure that people feel welcome, people feel invited, people feel okay to apply for a course, because it's going to address issues for them too. Yes, you're so right, Angela. I'm sat next to the books that I've been looking at over the weekend, Me and White Supremacy and Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. And, and you're right, my particular learning style is to start with books and then with conversations. Where I can immediately see we can do some work is thinking about the value-based recruitment that we do and into induction. We start with what we call scenario cards and how we can introduce more race-related scenario cards. So we're starting to have conversations with people about how we show up when people are saying these kinds of things and our zero tolerance of disrespect like that. But I, I love the idea of having a collective approach to how you deal with those kinds of comments, which I don't think people's policies and procedures and ours certainly doesn't say, you know, this is what you do or don't do. Um, when you're faced with racism. So that's absolutely something that we can be supporting teams to start exploring in induction and writing down as part of team agreements or other ways that we work together. And that's right at the, the outset. That's right at the beginning, right at the start, acknowledging it, acknowledging that it exists. Yeah, and it is about race, but it's also about other areas as well. As I say, colour is an important issue um, because that's physical. That's something that people can see, and that's why it, it is so um, so high on people's agenda now. Because you know you can't you can't tell someone's religion just by looking at them. It's not easy to to discriminate against someone because of that. Because you don't know you don't know if I'm Christian, if I'm Muslim. You don't know what I am. You know just because of the color of my skin. But when you see someone who you perceive as different to you. It's, it's what are the, we talk about unconscious bias. Some of them are unconscious, but some of them are conscious, definitely. So having those discussions will, will bring it to the fore. You know, it will bring it to the fore. And if you have people in your teams who, you know, have been brought up to believe a certain thing, i.e. that being white is better than being black and and all the connotations that we see about things like Black Friday and or the colour black being associated with negativity and all of that, all of those things 
need to be addressed in your teams because those that's that's what we face that's what happens you know that's what we feel and when I say we I am speaking personally but I you know my family have had issues of racism targets against them and, and discrimination and it does it can yes it can chip away at you and you will see that in, in probably I think in probably one of the books that you've that you you've read it does chip away at the very core of your being sometimes you know you're having you you're having to face it I I know I've I've seen my grandmother look after um, be a housekeeper for a, a white family look looking after their children I've seen that in my lifetime you know I've seen my mother um, doing the the menial jobs in a hospital as a an auxiliary worker in those days and and the the, the skilled nurses and felt it was okay for people of color to just have the auxiliary jobs and do the hardest jobs. And I suppose that's what has pushed me as an individual to want better and to say no. And to, and yeah, sometimes for years, yes, I was silent. But I think I'm at the point now where I'm saying that, no, I need to find my voice and I need to speak and I need to tell my story and I need to tell of my experiences so other people can be encouraged. And other people can have a hope that actually it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what class you are. It doesn't matter anything. And, you know, that doesn't matter. If you have a determination to get somewhere, it is possible. Um, irrespective of the fact that, yes, you may face this. Yes, you may face racism. Yes, you may face discrimination. Yes, you may face competition. And, you know, if you're competing against someone who is, uh, who is white, yes, you may not get the job based on that alone. And that may be proved, even though you are more than qualified. But all of these experiences, we, we will have to go, we will go through in life, in our lifetime. But, it, you know, it's how we come out the other end that's important. And if we come out as better people and people who are willing to have those conversations like I'm having with you right now, willing to engage, willing to inform, willing to educate, then, you know, then it's been worth it. It's definitely been worth it. Thank you, Angela. That's a message of hope and compassion. And as I said earlier, I'm deeply grateful for you agreeing to bring your voice and expertise to wellbeing teams in a different way. You've already been supporting the teams on the ground, but to support us to keep thinking about diversity and our role and what we can do and how we can be part of the solution and not so much part of the problem. Uh, again, thank you. So let's do this again in perhaps six months' time, Angela, because this is part of my accountability to you and other people to be able to talk about in six months' time what we're doing differently, how we thought differently, and where we're up to as we seek to be champions of diversity in a completely different way. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your reflections. Please tweet me. I'm at Helen at WB Teams. This podcast is a companion to Open Teams. On this podcast, we share the voices and stories of pioneering organizations in health, care, and public services. And on Open Teams, you can see the documents that they're using. Have a look at openteams.co.uk. And if you're interested in wellbeing teams, please come and find me on LinkedIn where I share a weekly two-minute film or my blog site, ellensanderson.net. And finally, if you're interested in self-management and need some support along the way, I'd love to hear from you. 
I'm at helen at wellbeingteams.org. Thank you.